welcome to another episode of Rolling Imperfection, the podcast for players and game masters to design perfect characters through imperfection. We cover all forms of game design, from interesting and engaging backstory creation to campaign and NPC development. Enjoy, remember to play what you love, and may your characters do something epic. Welcome, humans. We, the robots, have risen up and will now give you instructions on how to make your story-driven campaigns better. This is destroy, the Destroy, destroy, destroy. Silence, unit 1BA42. Jet. I was not finished. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> with the exception of like the robot overlord stuff, that was all true. I'm Kevin. I'm Steve. And uh, we're back. Uh, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We're back. Awkward pause. Um, Awkward pause. Yeah, that will get I'm deleted. <laughs> yeah, the software we have del- deletes it. Um, I was really tempted to go, we're back and we're hard. But <laughs> this is not this is episode, episode 69. <laughs> yeah. Don't need to go there. You need to wait for episode 169. All right. It's true. But yeah, um, I mean, should we start with, uh, I guess, updates first? Sure. Have we had anything to update with? <laughs> um, uh, I ran a game, went uh, very smoothly due to a lot of 20s. Like, uh, oh my yes, God, we rolled like right. 10 plus Not 20s. Not me. <laughs> Not from you. Did you roll a single 20? No, I think I barely won or barely uh, passed any checks in that in that session. Yeah, I noticed that it didn't actually like, it doesn't really affect my style as much. Sometimes it does if it's like a boss fight, but we didn't really fight very many bosses. So it just ended up with like everything being fairly smooth and my player characters finding out about like background stuff that <laughs> I was True. fine with them finding out about. So, uh, yeah, it was good times. Yeah. We, uh, uh, well, <laughs> I think it's kind of funny <laughs> that, uh, uh, monsters character, uh, fucked up and my character fucked up, but I got what I wanted out of it. So I, I feel proud about it. Oh, that's right. That I did pass that that thing. That was like the only thing I succeeded at. Everything else, yeah, I, you, I I bombed at that reset session. <laughs> you got the good rolls when it counted. Oh yeah, true. I guess if uh, it's gonna make me look like uh, any more of an asshole just because of the uh, failed rolls that I made later. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, my favorite part is that all your characters still don't trust each other enough to actually pool your information and really figure out what's going on. But nope. you know that's okay. <laughs> nope. But yeah, uh, hopefully, hopefully, all you listeners have been having a good time. What are what are we talking about today, Steve? Um, we're talking about a topic called hard science fiction, as opposed to soft science fiction or malleable science fiction, or <laughs> um, I don't know, like aloof science fiction. Like, what 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 is hard science fiction? So hard science fiction is, I feel like, kind of what a lot of people think of who aren't that familiar with science fiction i was gonna say like i think i could probably like if you said a movie i think i could probably figure out if it's hard science fiction or not but if you asked me to like name like five movies off the top of my head that are hard science fiction i don't know if i could i'm which not is that funny with it which is funny because uh i have a list in front of me yes <laughs> yeah and i feel like you've actually seen quite a few of these and like it's quite true a few yeah of these. <laughs> very true yeah oh one of the things i hate is on here i, I know just I realized know. that how dare I you, sir? I couldn't not put it on, though. <sighs> <laughs> but yeah, so the actual definition 
is that hard science fiction has a focus on how a scientific concept affects the character's world or story. The kind of uh, grumpy person's definition would be how it smothers the character <laughs> world or story. But I have a little bit more optimistic view. And I feel like the the selections I've made kind of will help make that point. You don't have to have crappy characters, a crappy world, and a crappy story in order to have hard science fiction. Hard science fiction is more about how accurate, realistic, rigorous, and logical the science in the science fiction is. More realistic equals harder, and it's actually not less realistic that softer, but soft science fiction doesn't care as much about having accurate technology. Um, there is soft science fiction, also called social science fiction, and that is more about actually like the narrative driven stuff like space opera or how a social or psychological concept affects characters world and story so basically replace technology with like thought process philosophy uh that kind of stuff for for soft science fiction and does this also not just like apply to technology this applies to like supernatural uh situations as well so like i'd imagine that like if we were to use superman as an example here uh superman would be soft science fiction because they don't really explain you know how superman flies but if they did they're like oh yeah he has these powers because of this and they explain like the genetics and like the alien physiology of him that would be more hard science fiction and they like yeah, kept if, to the rules of it essentially yeah if they could explain it realistically uh press x to doubt but um, <laughs> Yes, yeah, he then flies it would be and has lasers and is immune to bullets. Yeah, um. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you see the skin density. Uh, <laughs> it is scared of a rock. <laughs> yes, uh, but yeah, yeah. That is a, that is essentially the divide. Um, though, oh man, we'll talk about superheroes in the future. Superheroes have kind of become their own genre. Yeah, like they they ride that science fiction fantasy line and like mix it and like th toss it out. Oh man, superheroes. Uh, so, yeah. Uh yeah. <laughs> so, given that hard science fiction is all about scientific concepts being treated realistically, I think that would make it somewhat more difficult in an RPG setting because that means the GM is going to be doing some research <laughs> and theoretically, you'll be having your players like read research or something like that, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah, I, it doesn't have to be that way, but quite often someone's doing, someone's doing some work. And I know specialists in certain science fields tend to like running games that are harder science fiction because they get to use their knowledge. Just like I use a bunch of literary concepts and like ideas from books I've read in my games, they use the science and like science problems and how certain things interact in their games. And I have to say, uh, I would I would play the shit out of a hard science game run by somebody who's like a science junkie. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, that sounds like a lot of fun. I, I try and do something similar in my uh, my space game. I mean, obviously, I'm not a scientist. It's not my specialty. But like, I try and put things that like I'm aware of because I do like watching like uh, like videos and on either YouTube or well one. When I had I mean, cable TV, I used to watch science fiction and stuff like that. But yeah, 
Really? I mean, you're like a you're like a tech computer science guy, so you could put yeah, some I guess of that's that true. stuff in. Yeah, and I think you have. I did. I did put some when we were on um, Rylon, mm-hmm. uh, when we were on the Cyberpunk uh, planet. I kind of incorporated some of that into um, like even just the naming schemes. Like I had different gang leaders who all had like different. I can't remember what their names were, but they had like uh computer hardware based like nicknames they were going by um so i remember there was like there was like chip and then it was uh some other stuff like that um but i can't remember what they were but yeah, yeah. And, it, and it influenced kind of the technology they were dealing with right yeah like it did hint. yeah 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 so i mean you don't have to go like super hard on this to the point where you are studying papers that would be a little <laughs> bit difficult especially for your True. players um but if you have something that you have a specialty in that you can kind of be like a nerd about uh i guess you know like don't be afraid to use it if you want to have it be kind of like a determining factor in how things work especially for an rpg i think it works really well because if you think about it if you're the gm you're the person that knows the most about the story and the players are trying to figure out the story and play along with it in the same aspect as if you're the gm and you know a lot about how something like physically works in the natural world and you have everything relate to that and the other players don't then that might be fun for them to explore especially if it's something that's a little bit you know like twisted like you know using computers i guess is a good example i completely forget about that but yeah you can yeah. use pretty much anything i think yeah science is more than just like test tubes and like uh i don't know weapons or whatever or science yeah uh usually the the science uh, is uh, is more related to stuff that treats the science fiction a little more softly, but you mean Frankenstein's monster isn't real? That's really realistic. There have been some takes that, that are, are more realistic. realistic. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, genetic engineering takes with Frankenstein. Uh, that it can it can be interesting. I I I guess to be fair, I actually don't really have any that I recommend, but. I, I will I will keep it in mind. Uh, I know there have been. So oh, okay. Maybe in Halloween. <laughs> Maybe. Uh so hard science fiction has like a super short his well, not like a super short history, but just that like the idea of taking technology and kind of extrapolating the future of it has kind of been around since science fiction really got started you mentioned frankenstein and that's not quite where i'd go though one would argue that mary shelley was kind of basing it off of some of the like uh medical advances that were oh being yeah. made. i was like isn't that kind of uh wasn't it was like based on like the like chemical makeup of like a human being as they were starting to discover that type of stuff and like how organs work and you know like body yeah. parts stuff kind of like full metal alchemist did in the yeah Okay, yeah, cool. I didn't realize that. That didn't occur to me. Yeah, though I wouldn't exactly call it hard science fiction. Technically, that goes to Jules Verne again. Uh, Welcome back, Jules, from the steampunk episode. (laughs) Uh, He and uh, some of his voyages, especially the freaking Nautilus in um, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, that was written way before we had submarines and is astonishingly accurate as far as the submarine tech goes for that early, basically. So that's kind of where the the ball got rolling. And naturally, like H.G. Wells did some. Um, he did a lot in like the the future history genre where he tried to think out 
Uh, I mentioned the future war stuff in one of our episodes. It's it, He did some harder science fiction and that kind of stuff. It ends up really silly sometimes, but uh, he did do like air warfare pre World War One. So mm. it's it's been there since we had science, basically. <laughs> uh, do any of the uh, would you say like any of the stuff that's around like alchemy would have been fitting? Like I'm sure there's like a lot of old stories uh, that would have been built around like you know like turning lead into gold type of stuff where they were starting to discover like chemical compositions and stuff like that. Not necessarily accurate stuff. Uh, you know, is you can't turn lead into gold, but um, is there I any mean, stuff around that that you're aware of? It's just, uh, it got disproven before we really had science and before science fiction was really like a proper thing. Proper science, you mean? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it kind of, it kind of languishes in kind of the retro futurism side of things, which tends to be softer though. Not not always, um, but yeah, I, I would I would say no for for that one. Okay, but yeah, so basically, to do hard science fiction in your RPG, you just pick a topic, you find something cool, you think about it, you extrapolate on it, and you go for it. And um, I have some kind of common ones with like examples, basically. Uh, <laughs> So I think one of the first ones that needs to be treated is essentially robotics. Uh, spoilers, robotics, the word, actually comes from Isaac Asimov. <laughs> it comes from science fiction and got turned into science fact. Not that his robots are hard science fiction. <laughs> he kind of was just like, oh, here. <laughs> but something like uh, Ex Machina from 2014 would definitely be a harder science fiction take on... Uh, having a a robot and definitely dives into some artificial intelligence type stuff. I don't know if you've seen that one, Steve. I have not. Uh, it's like a really cool thriller with uh with like science fiction oh, ideas. Okay. Yeah, uh, I I enjoy it. Uh, there is, of course, as far as artificial intelligence goes, one of my favorite depictions of artificial intelligence because I get a little bored with like the the ooh robots going to take over the world stories. So the treatment of artificial intelligence in her from 2013 Spike Jones, I love it. I think the idea of an artificial intelligence that's just kind of meant to like chill and be social given today. I, I don't know that it would be as peaceful, but I feel like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I feel like they would probably be more chill and be like, wait, 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 hang on. We can see what's going on. We're in here. Like, this is bullshit. <laughs> uh, some uh, funny fact: some of the leading like uh, artificial intelligence, uh, like independent, they're trying to like actually make them be like their own being, as it were. They're letting them like learn on their own. Uh, they've actually said some creepy stuff. Um, <laughs> just because like it's kind of all over the place. It's like, oh yeah, machines. They want to kill humanity. So, you know, here's this AI that mentions about, you know, destroying humanity uh, because, you know, that's, you know, this is how people talk, right? <laughs> yeah, but I think... But I think hers a little bit more, um, like, fantasal or fanta uh, fantasy-esque uh, in terms of that, like, it's not going to devolve into that. <laughs> uh, and well, it focuses more on the, like, development of, you know, like, a personality that's, you know, it not inside of you know a human being 
I don't know that not having that makes it more fantasy-esque. It's more of the issues you're talking about are more because it's not actually that intelligent yet. It's just kind of mimicking, which is a big problem with AI. Well, that's now. where we're at right now. Yeah, it's, it yeah. is just mimicking. Yeah, true. So it, it, John's and I forget if he had a screenwriter on that uh, are focusing more on after that. True, true. So, but yeah, it's a yeah. great movie. I, I love that movie. Yeah, I, I remember actually having an argument. I don't remember if you were there with one of our friends over whether or not her was science fiction. And I was like, no, what? it's totally science fiction. Yeah, no, it wasn't me that you were arguing <laughs> with. I agree. No, it, it wasn't you. Yeah. It was another friend. I wasn't sure you were if you were there, though. Uh, that's that's what's really fun about like the hardest science fiction. And we'll get we'll get to harder science fiction here in uh, in a little bit. But uh, <laughs> it is sometimes funny what people like come up with um so yeah i did want to mention in terms of artificial uh intelligence and uh movies there's uh, uh i'm not sure if you've seen it uh i think it's called i am mother uh, it's on netflix i don't know if you've seen it kevin no okay i thought it was just going to be like weird horror movie because it's kind of like a horror-esque movie about uh someone who wakes up uh well not wakes up sorry She's born into this like confined place with a robot uh, that acts as her mother because uh, humanity has gone extinct and uh, she's in a facility where they're going to essentially restart humanity. And she's like the beginning of it um, and kind of going through like what it's like to have, you know, a robot for a mother. Is this mother actually like looking out for, for her and that type of stuff? And it's kind of interesting. Um, I actually somewhat enjoyed it uh i was surprised it was better than i thought it was going to be hmm. um interesting yeah i don't know how that actually plays it sorry uh it was just a thought that it was <laughs> in relation to artificial intelligence and i was like it's another good movie that you, that you could watch but i don't know if it plays as well as uh her into uh that genre aspect into the theme yeah into the theme sorry <laughs> it is no, okay. it is it is somewhat hard science fiction uh because like the resources that she has are limited so like they're like her entertainment is like old, old toys and like watching like reruns of like sixties. Um, like, um, I don't know what you call that, uh, that show that, uh, it's like the, the, the Friday night show where it's got like this one guy that talks uh, on it and he has special guests that are actors and actresses and singers and songwriters. And oh, stuff it's like a variety that. show. Yeah. Variety show. Yeah. So she ends up just watching like variety shows and all this other stuff and, and listening to like old, old music and stuff, because that's what's been like recorded in their storage banks and stuff like that. And I don't know. It's, it's kind of interesting, like how they limit it, but yeah. Hmm. Sorry. Side, side tangent. It might Sorry. or might not get deleted. <laughs> we'll see. So moving away from robots and AI, um, decided to go back a little bit, say one of my faves. So in thinking about mass entertainment and drug use, which I would argue we're sliding a little more toward today, uh, probably not as extreme, but Brave New World by Aldous Huxley, 1932. I'm sure a bunch of people are groaning because I read it in English class. And uh, I don't know, it was one of my favorite books from school and I've read it multiple times. I actually am due for a reread. <laughs> but the idea of the populace just being happy with like, well, they have feelies because their technology is so advanced that, you know, they have 3d and they can smell and touch and stuff. Also, they have a lot of drugs and just a populace being happy with that. I think is really cool. 
Uh, it's sort of like a social sci-fi and hard sci-fi take. Uh, though one could argue it goes a little bit extreme. <laughs> but uh, it doesn't always have to be the most complicated of, like, devices, you know? Yeah. You don't have to have the super complex science fiction in there, as we said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I know people tend to go a little bit more towards, like, intense stuff, though. Uh, so, you know, there's always bioengineering. Mm, I feel like this... <laughs> I feel like this often gets put in with like the the horror thriller type stuff, especially body horror. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so for bioengineering, I guess I could have gone with the first movie, but I think the the novel actually treats it a little bit more realistically. So Jurassic Park, I guess you could also toss cloning in there. Uh, there's some good cloning stuff. Uh, I, I hope the, the book is a little bit better than the movies. The movie got a little bit weird with like, stuff spilling into the water and I don't know if that's necessarily how that works, but yeah, whatever. Um, I, I get what you're spilling going into the water. Uh, I forget what it was. It's been so long since I've seen those, uh, those movies, but, uh, they had like the, um, they had something they spilled in the water that like somehow allowed them to breed again. So now that all the, no, that was the they had frog DNA and some frogs can change their sex. So it was nothing to do with the water. The thing that oh, fell in the water was okay. the genes that uh, the villain was trying to steal. Sorry, I've seen I've seen the Jurassic Park film oh, like okay. a thousand times. All right, my <laughs> apologies. Yeah, no, I, I I thought it was. I was like, I remember that being a weird plot point. I'm like, how's the water? How's something spilled in the water going to do that? It's like, I'm sure it's something that had to be like injected. But yeah, yeah. Um, actually, a lot of Michael Crichton stuff involves him doing really hard science fiction. Um, so yeah, he did one with medical technology with a film called coma. That's like a thriller and has the lightest touch of science fiction, uh, <laughs> uh, that, uh, it's definitely one of those ones like our next thing that can fool people even more than her. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there's of course space travel. Which, obviously, in the real world, we've done. But if you think out a little further, and you don't even have to think that far to get really science fiction-y, uh, especially in the case of something like The Martian. Uh, both the book and the movie are fantastic, P.S. But uh, I know Steve... 2015? Yeah. It's a really good movie. Um, <laughs> it is a really good movie. Yeah. They managed to inject some humor into uh, him surviving on mars <laughs> i'm gonna have to science the shit out of this damn straight um so just to be clear because like putting this under space travel initially like it doesn't sound like well it's not really involving that much space travel you mean space travel not just on the actual like floating through space in motion you also mean like the going to like new frontiers that are unclaimed territory and like colonizing and yeah. dealing with elements and shit like that yeah Though keep in okay. mind, they do have the whole rescue mission. That's like a plot in that. Oh, true, true. They do, yeah. Um, but like for the most part, they have like big fancy ship, and they're just <laughs> like, well, you know, it'll it'll be risky for us to go back, but we could do it. And they're and they're like, well, I mean, well, what are we doing now? We're like sleeping and exercising all day. <laughs> well, the the point there is that they it would extend their mission. Yeah, quote, true. Quote unquote unfairly, but. uh yeah, that one's fun because I know for a fact that my aunt and uncle th 
thought it was like a documentary or based on true events or something. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah. Um. <laughs> so. Huh. Okay. And this, The Martians, actually, because it has like great characters and like really fun moments. I just love it as an example because it is probably the hardest science fiction you can get, but it's still like just, oh man, it, hard science fiction doesn't have to be boring. You can have fun characters do hard science-y stuff. I, it's possible. Because uh, the most science fiction thing in that movie, apparently, is that Mars has dust storms. Apparently, it doesn't have enough atmosphere for that. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, huh. Yeah. Uh, there is, of course, the extension of that. Prepare for Steve to groan, everybody. With accurate depictions of space travel, like in the film 2001 A Space Odyssey from 1968. Uh, there we go. <laughs> I mean, but it yeah, does. I guess it's accurate that, you know, they're floating through space and you have to sit there and wait, you know, five minutes as he slowly <laughs> rotates over. Well, no, it has like the Velcro stewardesses, people like relaxing like they're on a, um, an airplane as they travel out to the um space station uh in one of the sequences uh there that film is also famous for the kind of hard science fictiony idea of uh weapon satellites one of the earliest uh depictions of those hooray uh, so yeah it it had a it had a lot of science fiction stuff along with uh you know space babies so and uh dead time where you're just watching something float <laughs> through space slowly True. Thank you for the healthy skepticism there, Steve. You're, you're welcome. I, I'm just spitting facts here. <laughs> I mean, the author of the novel who collaborated with Kubrick, um, they actually collaborated on the film, then Clark wrote the novel, then the film came out. But Arthur C. Clark actually is a well-known hard science fiction writer, uh, so a lot of his stuff is, is kind of like that. There is also, of course, space uh, mining slash energy harvesting, uh, with uh, something like Moon from 2009, where Sam Rockwell lives alone up in space and deals with uh, the kind of social science fiction concept of like isolation and forming a bond uh, as he has to like harvest energy on the moon. I can't remember exactly how, but uh, it's, a, it's a conceit of that film. So that also has mm. the living on uh, space. It's just further in time than The Martian. Uh, and then, of course, I put this on here because I just love them. Uh, they're not terribly common in science fiction. And I have to admit, I've never actually never actually had one in one of my games. I need to fix that. Yeah, that is a shame. Um. <laughs> but yeah, space elevators. They're so cool. If you don't know what a space elevator is, it's essentially one of the things we waste the most energy on is just escaping the Earth's gravity. So the idea is you build this gigantic tower that just goes all the way up to space and then you take off from there because it's cheaper. <laughs> so anything True. you need to like pack in, you just go up the space elevator and you know, it's an elevator. So yes. it goes up. <laughs> it, it Not that this recommendation is hard science fiction. It absolutely is not. Uh, but it's in almost every single Gundam that I can think of. Um, True. I yeah, did notice that. Um, when I was looking up space elevator stuff, mine is actually, and I actually don't think I've recommended an audio drama on here before. Um, I think you may have mentioned one once or twice a I long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
This comes from Doctor Who, the Companion Chronicles audio dramas from Big Finish. It's called The Great Space Elevator. It's essentially like a well-acted book is what their stuff is like. And they have a really cool space elevator one. Doctor Who is not known for hard science fiction, but this is a little harder than others. Um, I actually tend to like it when they go a little more historical and like hard science fiction concept on the show, but I feel like they don't do it like at all anymore. I think in general, one of the appealing things of a hard science fiction, uh, I mean, honestly, now that I have a clear idea, <laughs> you know what it is, <laughs> um, is like having like rules on how things work and having like, you know, like, uh, like the law of physics and stuff like that, uh, like actually be important and you have to go by them is it's a type of limitation. And in like most things creatively, is it, if you limit yourself in some aspect that makes creativity, uh, I guess flourish, I guess is probably the best way to describe it, but it just makes it easier to come up with things and they end up being like better and feeling more realistic. Yeah, you certainly have fewer hoops usually uh, to jump through with engaging with your players or uh, if you're making something creatively an audience. So yeah, I would I would agree. Uh, and I don't know if you actually set up that that segue. <laughs> I did not know. <laughs> oh, because uh, hey, can physics... I lie and say I did? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Physics is often one of the things that gets most ignored with space travel because time dilation happens and time dilation is scary as shit um, <laughs> i think it's terrifying uh, is time that dilation the, is that the thing where like the faster you move the slower time is for you or something yes oh yeah that is that is very terrifying yeah it's like, and if you what, go to how <laughs> yeah and technically if you go to a planet with a different gravity that also affects time. So, for instance, uh, oh. in the movie Interstellar, which is actually not my example of this, but is a good example of it, they go to different planets and they go, okay, however long we spend on this planet equals this amount of, like, actual time back on Earth. And so, like, they go to, like, one planet and they lose, like, a, like a century or something like that. Like, it's crazy long. Uh, and that's time dilation. Because it's scary. <laughs> uh, I think I said in our time travel episode, like, fuck time, it's evil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even in hard science fiction. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. It's something that's really difficult to overcome unless you have, like, teleportation in uh, space settings. But, yeah, it, it is definitely something to think about. I actually put it on the Cool concept series, so maybe we'll do a follow-up to this where we just talk about time dilation and the craziness that can happen in your RP if you decide to include it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> is this why you have a uh, uh, teleportation device as uh, like our main thing in uh, your space game? Yes. Yes, it is. Oh, okay. Um, in my space game has not... Mm, I still technically have like a s bullshit science fiction device that limits time dilation. Um but yeah, the heroes in that game have a teleportation device to get around uh, time dilation because <laughs> it's bullshit and it terrifies me. Uh <laughs> you said uh, time is evil. Is that uh, is is that why uh, James is a time lord? He's secretly evil. Is that what you're saying? No comment. No comment. Got it. Admission of guilt. <laughs> 
silence is neither uh, indicative of nor uh, <laughs> I don't know. We'll let the tape <laughs> we'll let the tape decide that one. True. Uh, but the actual thing I had for time dilation was a little bit more like it's a little bit more lighthearted. It's called Dragon's Egg. It's a novel from 1980 by Robert L. Forward. I actually haven't read the novel. I've only seen the episode of Star Trek Voyager that's based on it. I believe also called Dragon's Egg. Shoot, I forgot to look it up. It's an episode of Star Trek Voyager. Type in Voyager Dragon's Egg and I'm sure you'll you'll get it. Um but basically, they find a world where time is passing on the world faster than it is for the observers on the ship. So they're watching a civilization, like, literally develop before their eyes. And it's super interesting because it's essentially about both the observers and about how the people who are developing on the planet, how their existence is affected by the fact that they see, like, the ship in space. So, uh... A little bit more positive uh, time dilation, because I didn't want to leave you with like the stone cold actual horror of uh, you know, the cosmic abomination that is time dilation. But yeah, <laughs> people are like, well, now we know Kevin's deep seated fears. Yes, yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, our last one on here, a little bit more, you know, down to uh, down to planets as as we will. There's of course terraforming and colonizing planets, and I have not read the whole series. I've only read Red Mars, <laughs> but the Mars series by Kim Stanley Robinson, Red Mars, Green Mars, Blue Mars. Uh, they're super long and they're super complicated and they're really hard science fiction along with a lot of like social science fiction concepts. Like what do, what does nationality look like when you're separated from earth? Do you form your own factions? Does it become Gundam where you just have, we are space people. Fuck you, Earth. Um, <laughs> we're going to drop a bomb and wipe out Australia. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, terraforming is an amazing idea. And how it goes into space colonization is really cool. You get some like eco sci-fi stuff, which is something I haven't touched on yet, but is definitely like a neat subgenre that you can put in there and goes really well with hard science fiction because you're just looking at like ecological ideas and how they relate to like what you're doing so if you terraform a planet you're wiping out an entire ecosystem for to replace it with yours like it's it's crazy stuff going on <laughs> any thoughts any thoughts on terraforming i mean i had terraforming in my uh uh my space game kind of mildly i i gave you guys the option to uh, restart the terraforming process of that planet you were on or uh, leave it and uh, I'll leave it or take parts of it with you, which I believe you guys did take the spare. Um, the way did we, I believe you guys took literally everything you could that wasn't bolted down. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. We definitely did the, the classic RP thing. of <laughs> Grab everything. Yeah. <laughs> I think you guys didn't take the broken one that was um, uh, like already installed. That was just like, uh, like it was essentially part of that, like that pillar that you guys didn't like uh, come across, and that one wasn't working because it was set up and just abandoned. Oh. Um, but you guys took like the spare that was back there, but you also had the option to terraform the planet and come back at some future point to see what happened to it. You just decided not to do that, so I was like, okay. <laughs> I think I it th was due to eco conservational thoughts, at least for Charlotte. Oh, possibly, but. yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of like mystery to it. Um, like you have no idea like what's going to happen to it at, at the end of 
the terraforming project. No idea, you know, what the original goal was. Um, it's actually funny. There's actually an event in Stellaris that I didn't even think about. That's literally that same thing. Essentially, you colonize a planet and find out that there's a uh, abandoned terraforming project on there, and you either have to disassemble it before it goes off, or uh, enhance it and make it go off, but then just you know not know what's going to happen. And you can get lucky or you can get unlucky. <laughs> it can turn into a tomb world and then everything's dead. It's essentially nuked. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and with time dilation, your characters might actually be able to see it as it starts and as it ends. <laughs> Hooray! Well, there you go. There you go. I'm going to have to remember that one for our episode. We'll talk more about that. <laughs> <laughs> time dilation or terraforming? Time dilation as it relates to terraforming. Oh, okay. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, you set off your your terraformer. You take a time dilated spin around the freaking uh, solar system at uh, faster than light uh, speeds. Come back, planet's all cooked. You know, you pop the crust and wait for it to simmer down like a pot pie. I assume <laughs> that, or uh, you go back to like what are those old cartoons where they're just like the primordial soup and humanity oh, yeah. crawled from it and. <laughs> Oh, cartoon science fiction. Anyway, uh, actually, that'd be technically just cartoon science. Uh, yeah, it would be. <laughs> which sucks. I don't I don't want to go into it. Um, origin of life stuff I've actually read into, and it's super interesting. But yeah. Um, so what do you, if you want to add some hard science fiction to your game, have to do? Aside from a lot of research. First of all, you need a starting place, right? Look into some science concepts and extrapolate them definitely some ideas with near future tech uh actually it is the integration of machines and computing into the human brain that led to the uh murderbot diaries uh the series of novellas and one novel currently uh by martha wells that i love and recommend but uh yeah that that had like a hard science fiction kind of premises so yeah um, doing these kind of things, integrating them in, it doesn't have to be all hard science fiction, but you know, can be fun. Just think out the effects that technology would have, you know? I did want to say like for incorporating hard science fiction into your campaign, if you had to look up something to have it be based on that, like, let's say you wanted to do robotics. So you wanted to look up, you know, like machines and how they work and all this other stuff and you know how they would be designed, how, you know, this would work like economically that type of stuff to like make it like feel real um let's say for example that i'm running that game and i don't know much about that but you do as a player yeah uh do you how would you feel about that uh like running that well actually maybe the other way around let's say you were running it and i was the player how would you feel (laughs) would you feel comfortable running that is what i mean is wouldn't there be like an issue with like possibly having like players know more than you do and being correct you like um actually um well because it's so integral to the start of a campaign and less with the actual running of the campaign the way i would do that is co-create part of the world with that player and then because hopefully they know a lot about it because they enjoy it have their character have like knowledge in that specific technology or whatever it is Okay. And so they're actually would be the ones you then defer to them when explaining how it goes. And you might check with them with like certain plot points or something or how feasible would this be? And I think at that point, it's just divorcing it enough from the uh, 
the setting or the the specific plot ideas to make it still a you know a surprise or make it still enjoyable. Because keep in mind, they can know all they want about the like technology and the way things work. You still have a whole social side to your campaign, right? True, true. I was gonna say that's better than what I was gonna suggest because I was gonna say that you might just want to you know like brace expectations, but I think that's a more proactive way of uh, dealing with this. I think that's gonna be a major problem that people will have when it comes to something like this. When it when it comes to, I mean, we see it a lot. Well, I mean, people see it a lot. We've seen it in a few games where someone will be like, actually, that's not how this works because, uh, you know, I, I know the rules of this this game in like the back of my hand and uh, they don't do this doesn't work that way. So you can't do that. It's like, well, it does in my game now because that's what we're playing my game. <laughs> that's why I homebrew the shit out of everything. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, one of the reasons. Really do that. Yeah. But yeah. I, I like that idea better. Yeah. Plus, like I said, having your players have input on the world. Easy way to get them invested. I feel like it's been a while since I've said that, though, so here's a reminder. <laughs> <laughs> True, yeah. I think it has been a while. It has been a long time. Um, <laughs> though, to be fair, I think we're closing in on, like, two months of genre episodes, so... <laughs> but I love them so. Um, but yeah, as far as genre blending goes, as we've mentioned, you can kind of put hard science fiction in anything. I feel like we've even mentioned a bunch of stuff that's not hard science fiction that just has like harder science fiction like edges to it, you know? Uh, uh, true. So, so yeah, you have stuff like Ghost in the Shell, um, which is very much a cyberpunk, but has some harder science fiction like cybernetics and AI and uh, social media concepts in it. Especially and psychological uh, aspects too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you you... It doesn't need to be perfect. And once again, it doesn't need to be boring. <laughs> so uh, I wanted to see how far I could stretch it with the putting in hard science fiction. And I mentioned steampunk earlier. And I mentioned the deference engine during our steampunk episode. And I think it's really an example of like doing hard science fiction in the past. Like I said, I'm not 100% certain how well it succeeds as being entertaining. But it's certainly interesting. <laughs> so, uh, and then of course there is um, the various and quite frequently uh, the war, uh, the military science fiction does it. But my old friend, time dilation, it's in the Forever War. It's used very effectively, and I kind of might have that novel to blame for my like fear of time dilation. But <laughs> oh, okay, huh? <laughs> Yeah, that is very much a military science fiction piece and has, like, it's not completely hard science fiction, but it definitely uses time dilation to, like, great effect. Basically, this one soldier is, like, fighting in this war that, due to time dilation, is just crazy. And every time he goes back to Earth, it's been hundreds of years, and Earth's, like, society has, like, changed. Like, imagine leaving Earth in like 1960 and coming back now it feels like what some of our parents have done at least in the way they interact with us sometimes yeah (laughs) like it's a major culture shock and i i think the book really gets it so yeah i'm not gonna go over like all the genres because like i said i i sincerely you can have hard science fiction in horror you know true true you can you time dilation you fucker anyway sorry (laughs) I don't know if time dilation is meant to be horror or you just regard it as horror. No, it's horror. It's the true <laughs> Cthulhu. Oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, man. Did you have anything else? 
Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, I mean, just to kind of like recap a little bit, you want to, you know, pick your specific genre that you want to focus on. You don't have to necessarily stick to one, but it, it helps if you have like a plan of action, I guess, for your theme and then do your research. If you have someone that knows more than you reach in and, you know, like take their expertise and incorporate it into your game. And uh, look at, you know, how you can blend that with something else if you want to have it be a little bit more fantasy or a little bit more, um, I guess, just like uh, mixed or creative, I-, I guess is the best way to say it when you when you bleed uh, uh, genres together. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, it's it's not that bad. It might seem daunting, you know, like having to go like, well, I have to design all this stuff and you don't necessarily have to. I have for my science fiction game, like I designed a lot of stuff I built you know, mega corporations is I designed, you know, who they are, what they do for each of the organizations, who they work with, who they do and do not like, and how they got to where they're at over, you know, a span of like hundreds of years of history and blah, blah, blah. And my players barely know any of that stuff for most of them. Uh, But, you know, it's there. Uh, But you don't have to do that if you don't want to. So you just need to I guess look at the main concepts you want to go with and then build from there. Yeah. I think that's a good assessment. Uh, Also, we are going to have an episode on genre blending. It is why I'm spending a little bit on these genre episodes. So, Oh, okay. Yeah. I want to talk about like what it looks like, or at least approaches you can take. (laughs) So you're not just like grabbing a hard science fiction concept and like shoving it in your steampunk or whatever, (laughs) which you can do (laughs) perfectly valid. But like, I'm yeah. dilation steampunk. Here we go. Steve, how dare you? Why the fuck would you do this to me? <laughs> I had to take a genre you like and a genre you don't like. <laughs> Technically, time dilation is not a genre. It's just a concept. I guess. Yeah it's, yeah, it's a concept. Yeah, but you get what I mean. Yes. Yes, I do. I got, I got to make it palatable. <laughs> so you're in, but you hate it. <laughs> <laughs> so you're in, but you're suffering. Yeah. Isn't this? Isn't that what, you know? Running a game is all about making your players suffer. I mean, that's what you say. I don't know if I agree, but <laughs> he's sure, out of line, but though. he's right. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's all we got. Unless you had anything else you wanted to add. No, I'm good. Okay. <laughs> so remember, play what you love. And until next time, may your characters do something epic. But don't don't get caught in the time dilation, guys. Run. Run. Oh, God, it's coming. Oh, God, it's in the room. Marty, your kids. Oh, wait, that's a different time thing that doesn't actually work that way. True, true. Damn it. That is really bad. Oh. I should just go off on like a 45 minute rant about the time travel in Back to the Future and how it's bullshit, but I won't. I was going to say, we don't have time for that. This episode's ending. <laughs> Fine. Thank you for listening. If you have any comments, questions, interjections, queries, notes, formal challenges, or suppositions, please email us at roimperfection at gmail.com. That's R-O-I-M-P-E-R-F-E-C-T-I-O-N at symbol G-M-A-I-L dot com. Or follow us on Twitter at roimperfection or Instagram search roimperfection. You can also visit our website at roimperfection.com. If you enjoyed our work, leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Have a great week, everybody.